0: Page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts. I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello, Matthew. How's it going? Uh, do you have any sandwich or lunch updates for you, for me in Bath? Because I've got one for
1: you, actually. Uh, so uh, I was curious how it's going for you. I've been going to Time quite a lot. Right, right. Which I know some people are down on since it changed hands, but I've been going there enough that we we're, we're we're reaching the dangerous your regular sir zone, <laughs> which is where they become over familiar with me. And, and you know, it's not every day I want a chicken baguette. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah, I've not been there in a long time, actually.
0: Isn't someone else there yeah, now? Yeah, it, it
1: used to be run by these sort of like, well, I would say like a squad of like old school dinner ladies. <laughs> yeah, that isn't 100% accurate. That is exactly who they are, yeah. Uh, and now it's run by, I think,
0: a Greek couple? Right. Right, because when you go in there now, it's actually got the vibe of a
1: kebab shop or something. It's got like right, those, yes. kind of, those
0: glow up kind of boards with about eighty different options on them. You yeah,
1: know. the guy, the guy who runs it seems quite kind of quiet and timid, but then he's right. also got uh, an ear stud, which I I can never quite put those two things together because I'd say that's quite a confident move. <laughs> put those things together. Well, you know uh, what I mean? You know, it's kind of like his his demeanor is like don't worry about me, but then the ear stud is like check this fucking guy out. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. That's that's my that's my single observation about time. I've been um
0: getting into Chandos Deli recently, which Oh, interesting we've never talked about it before but there it's as the name suggests it's got it does a few more things other than sandwiches but the sandwiches they do have are pretty good like they've got like a some kind of like old cheddar and sort of like mayo and salad sandwich that i had this week that was pretty solid and but it's served in like enormous bagels like a a four of bagel i've not seen previously in Bath, (laughs) like massive ones and they let you gamble on, like, a hole, whether you just want to go for a half. And I went for half, and then I was hungry 5, 4 p.m., so I went for a hole the next day. Plus, I had a um, hands-on event, which also I thought I'd just um, I'd just go for the big sandwich. That's pretty decent, actually. They do, like, a mm. smoked salmon cream cheese one that's tipped top as well. You know, I like those. So um, When you say yeah. old cheddar... <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know how they call it, like, I don't know, antiquated cheddar or whatever? Like Oh, it's-
1: so, like, not, like, old, or
0: it's not, like, some left old... Well, it's, not, it's not like 50 years old. It's like it's not really like bad cheddar. No, it's like, I think it's like deliberately, it's like quite hard crumbly cheddar, but it's like a, maybe it's a, a sort of type of cheddar, a format of cheddar, I'm unsure. Oh, okay, but, a format of cheddar. Uh, well, it's, it's anyway, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty solid selection they've got up there, and I'd never been in there, but then when, um, I remember like a few years ago when Tim Clark, of PC gamer, came in for a flying visit, he was like, oh yeah, I used to get a slice of quiche from there like every lunchtime, and I was like, okay, well... I'll finally give this place a go. I've,
1: d- I've never been in there. I've walked past it many times. It's actually... Uh, I mean, not that anyone's interested, but I'll share <laughs> it anyway. I think if you were to do a heat map of the centre of Bath of, like, streets I have and haven't walked on much. Right. That stretch of shops is one of my least walked bits of pavement. <laughs> yeah, I do agree. It's like, yeah, it's just a sort of a dead
0: end in an open world game, isn't it? Because you, you would
1: never walk all the way up there to cut across and then go down the high street. You'd cut <laughs> across on the heat map around that that road by uh, the salamander and all that, that road. I use that a lot. Right, because it's got Mr. B's, the bookshop, right? It's so. got Mr. B's, it's got that cake cafe with the extraordinary lunchtime deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously a classic Matthew Carson. But point. that one at the top, like, I couldn't tell you outside of Chando's what's actually on that street is how little <laughs> I walk it.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel about the area of town that goes to, um, that goes off from where TK Maxx is and goes near Pulteney Bridge, that whole strip of stuff. I like... Because oh, yeah. uh, well, so I used from... to live on Portney Street, I've walked that quite a lot. Well, see? it's like, you know how it's got that place that just sells those little are they like sort of Spanish pancakey things? The little those little cakey things? They they just seem to sell that and um or like they or you have to have a sit down meal and like there's that place <laughs> and then there's a few coffee shops, and then Chez Dominique, which is one of the best restaurants in Bath. But otherwise, I don't ever really have a reason to go along there. And that not there a shop that just sells, like, Bath rugby stuff as well? That's, like, around there too, so... Yeah, but that's quite near the rugby ground, so it makes sense. It does make sense. And it's that's not
1: a, completely wild. Well, no, no, but that's, <laughs> like, a,
0: an, a, you know, a part of Bath culture I do not engage with, so it's, like, you know... Um, mm. when, I see, when I just see those shirts, I'm like, oh, okay, town's going to be a fuck show today, then I'll stay home, basically. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, Chandos, top stuff. So... Yeah, I do recommend looping around there and then. Yeah, I need to adjust my heat map. The only thing I would say is that I swear that the the staff seems to change every day. It's like a someone (laughs) hits randomly generated uh, generator button on like a sort of character model of twenty something women, and they just change
1: every single day.
0: I've not seen the same one three times.
1: I wonder if it works like while you're in the store, if you just did a 360 degree spin, <laughs> it would load in new assets.
0: <laughs> oh dear, that's uh, these are the things I think about in when I'm working from home. Very exciting. So, Matthew, we've got uh, a, what we've been playing episode coming up today, but I thought I'd give people a little rundown of what we've got coming up in October as well, because you know start of the month, so you know people would want to know what we've got, what uh, we've got in the pipe. So. Uh, this is october 6th you're listening to this what we've been playing again it's been a little while since done one of these like six weeks or something we've actually got some good games to talk about should be good obviously we always have some good games to talk about but this week matthew's really been killing it Um, october 9th is our excel episode the best resident evil moments matthew not sure how we're going to record that with your holiday but we'll try and figure it out (laughs) yes it'll be fine Uh, maybe we bump that back a day should we say that's coming on the tuesday instead just to give ourselves yeah let's do that just to have that wiggle room there you go october 10th you heard it here first um and uh, october 13th is the best games of 2001 so we're going to do our best games format and uh, talk about the year but um yeah we're going further back because we decided 2017 would be slightly too too depressing so that's that's the choice we made October 20th is an interview episode, I won't say who it's with, we're actually still figuring out exactly what the content will be, but it's um, it's a good one, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. excited to do that one. So, yep, yeah, and then October 27th we're doing the um, the games of uh, Remedy um, with a guest, um, I think I can say the guest is, Simon Cardi from IGN, so that should be, um, mm, should nice. be a fun one. yeah' has doing pretty-
1: a lot of Remedy content online, so hopefully he's well placed to offer us insights absolutely so we'll try and play a bit of um a bit of alan wake 2 for
0: then because that's the day that alan wake 2 comes out and i, ha- I have seen some really cool stuff dropping for that in the p- in the past week actually it's made me um quite pumped about it so that should be good mm. Um then finally to close out the month slightly later than we normally do the xxl but i think we're just going to need the time this month is um the top 10 scorsese movies matthew so yeah i'll, uh, I'll look forward to that one so i'm yeah.
1: watching my f- i'm watching my first scorsese rewatch film today exactly you're going to casino
0: with Catherine, which meant i I felt weird about going because i can't sit in the same it would be strange if i just went there you just
1: have to put up with all the snogging (laughs) (laughs) because there's nothing that gets me going like a man's head in a fucking vice (laughs) yeah i seem to recall um
0: when we were in the same cinema during perfect blue you were like oh yeah perfect perfect time for a bit of snogging perfect
1: necking material more like
0: (laughs) So that's the month of podcasts. It should be um it should be good. Then in, actually we've actually been planning ahead in November as well. We've got a Spider-Man 2 episode, an old Hitman games episode and the XL all kinds of fun stuff. So patreon.com oh God, is actually... I've
1: got to, I've got to get going on that fucking Hitman one.
0: Yeah, I'm a bit stressed <laughs> out by it. For the Resident one, actually I'm, I'm going to try and squeeze in some Code Veronica. So I've got some fresh Code Veronica thoughts because oh, nice. that's, that's the one that I don't think either of us have played. So well, I I've, I've, yeah. I've played it just not for more than about a couple of hours. So um
1: I've played it in the format of um dark side chronicles light gun game <laughs> that
0: kind of counts doesn't it uh yeah so um yes yeah, so that's uh, that's what's coming up if you want to support the page the podcast and unlock those extra episodes patriot.com slash back pod for the xl and xxls but this episode we've got a bunch of games that we've each been playing and then um, we've got a load of listener questions as well so classic podcast format you can see why it works for many other people matthew let's start with you you have um you have two very sexy things to discuss here
1: and then one Also sexy, but slightly less sexy thing to talk about. So um, why don't you kick us off? (laughs) I'm going to kick off with uh, Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty, the new expansion, um, which was uh, very much on my radar because I think the Witcher 3 expansions uh, are two of the best around. So the idea of uh, CD Projekt Red weaving more of their DLC magic was very appealing to me. Um, do you know much about this one? I don't know if you've been following Phantom Liberty. There's um, something about America, some kind of
0: spy thriller, and Idris Elba's in it. That's basically uh, that I know, and then I know about the larger update that basically completely redoes the, the progression system in the yeah. base game Cyberpunk twenty
1: seventy seven. Yeah. So yeah, that I know is a basic, basically the headline features. This adds a new region to Night City called Dogtown. Um, you know, hilariously just wasn't there before, but now this huge thing that everyone keeps talking about is suddenly pops out of nowhere, which I always like it when a game does that. The sort of retcons in something geographical and massive. Um, which is like I'm not entirely up to date with the cyberpunk in game history of like what the relationship is between Night City and like the rest of the United States. Like I get the feeling that there was like a war between them at some point so like Night City is like its own sort of separatist state or something um, but basically Dogtown is like a bit of Night City which doesn't really belong to Night City doesn't really belong to anyone and is now ruled over by kind of warring military factions um, it's the sort of skeleton of what was going to be a sort of luxury kind of casino resort like it's a little bit kind of Las Vegasy. I guess is is probably the, the vibe that they're going for. Um, there's this big neon sort of pyramid in the centre of it, which looks like it could be a, a Las Vegas casino. Um, but for you know, in the timeline of this world, this this big resort never got finished. I don't know if how how will you remember the base game, but do you remember Pacifica, which was the kind of like half-built coastal bit? Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I do. It was, uh, yeah, it's where the, um, the uh, is it the,
1: ha- are they like Haitian kind of gang? They, yeah, they, the Voodoo they Boys. Were... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The very sensitively depicted Voodoo <laughs> Boys. Um, <laughs> Dogtown is like, is part of Pacifica, so it's kind of got that that very similar energy. The Voodoo Boys are are in Dogtown as well, so it kind of, sort of fills out that area of the map. You are called in... I'm going to spoil the setup because they've talked about it a lot but I I won't spoil the rest of it Uh, you basically get a phone call from a person on board the cyberpunk equivalent of Air Force One who says uh, our, our plane is being hijacked and it's going to crash into Dogtown and... You know i've been able to like hack into your brain for whatever reason it's it's a net runner on board the plane and she says you know you're the only person i've been able to contact so i need you to come and like save us from dogtown so it starts off as a sort of save the president mission soon becomes something else which is where idris elba comes into it as uh solomon reed who is a kind of a deep cover agent who's been embedded in dogtown uh for like seven years and you you are basically working with him to to solve the problem of Dogtown. uh everyone keeps talking about it being like a spy thriller and i thought that was going to be marketing bilge but actually it's like a it is a a pretty good spy romp uh is is my major takeaway like it's very james bondy it's very mission impossibly um a lot of the set pieces and the bigger missions are kind of heists or sort of breaking into swanky parties uh, there's a machine which lets you ch- uh, sort of change your entire physical, you know, appearance, so you can sort of steal faces. So it has the kind of Mission Impossible face stealing, you know, quite a scripted mechanic, but it, it's it's done in quite a fun way, and it you know it has lots of those scenes where people gather around tables and like lay out the plan exactly how it's all going to play out with like holograms and diagrams and all that so if you love all that shit mission impossible there's loads of that here i would say like because of that like its its strengths are its big story missions which are as like amazingly and expensively produced as they were in the main game um I don't think this rewrites the rulebook in terms of how Cyberpunk functions in RPG. Like, there is the wider 2.0 update, which changes character progression. And, you know, that, that definitely changes, like, how you behave in combat and, and the specific kind of, like, physical combat ability build that you make. But as an actual, as an actual RPG, I, I, I still find it, like, quite linear, quite scripted. Um, I'm sure this came up when we talked about this this before with Cyberpunk, but like my my big Cyberpunk take is that um, it's it's never better than in its very scripted story missions. And those scripted story missions, I think are, they feel more like elevated Call of Duty levels to me than they do traditional RPG levels. Like if it wants you to do a stealth sequence, you're doing a stealth sequence. Doesn't matter what you build, you know. If you're doing a big shootout, you're doing a big shootout. Whatever you build, like. You know, there are some grand sweeping changes you can make by, like, deciding things at, at key sort of story crossroads. But the actual, in moment-to-moment action, I think you're, you're only ever doing exactly what CD Projekt Red want you to do. And that's fine, because they've they've done it really well. They choreographed these set pieces beautifully. And like I say, this one is really fun, because it's got all this spy stuff. So if you, if you enjoyed you know the big story missions of the campaign like like the kompeki plaza this has got several missions i would say as good or as that as that kompeki plaza heist level it's kind of fat, which i think is fine but uh, the, the negative to this is i've seen some people go like it's finally become the rpg it was always meant to be and i don't really i don't really buy that like i, I think it's uh I think it's like a a cool shooting gallery with some with some quite colourful character options around the outside rather than a full-fledged RPG and nothing in Phantom Liberty kind of changes my perspective on that.
0: That's interesting because I thought that uh, one of the things I think I saw uh, a review pulling out of this th- this was that the choices were very meaningful and exciting and the, the consequences the, what you really the, felt them and I that's something I just never
1: got from the main game. So Yeah, I mean yeah. they are, but you know they are in that there is a very there's a very big decision that you have to make in this, which splits you down two paths for like the last couple of hours of the DLC. So it it does branch off. I don't think that's much different to what they do at the end of Cyberpunk, where you basically pick a side to ally with to go into you know go into the final set piece. You know it, it this is maybe more substantial, but it, it it does fundamentally come down to kind of ending 1 or ending 2 mm. um, i've seen people try and pitch this as a witcher 2 like the entire second act is different it's it's just not that you know right, it's, right. but because they can't like the the like the, to make a game of that to make that much content you know the length of game you'd have to make, like the expense and the resource required to do it at this level of fidelity, which has always been Cyberpunk's big kind of calling card—just how fucking amazing, like all the performance capture looks and the bespoke details and the weird mechanics. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not like dinging it for that. I mean, this is probably as substantial as the as the branching has been, mm. but the idea that it's like, a finally a reactive, kind of reflective RPG that's bringing all these choices into play. I don't think it's miles different from what they were doing already in, in the main game. But, you know, The Witcher 2 are a hard act to follow. They were never going to... I don't think any game will ever do that again. Just because of, like, the cost of making these things now. Like, it's just, you know, it would be obscene. I mean, the way that game did it was... You Know start to finish, which are two is like 30 hours as opposed to 100 hours. You know, that's that's how that stuff works, but um, this is definitely like for, for all cyberpunk's flaws, I think Phantom Liberty is is like a it's very much putting its best foot forwards. Idris Elba's absolutely amazing in it. Mm. Um, I you know, I don't really buy Keanu Reeves that much. I think he's actually, I think he's only okay in a, in the base game, which has got like phenomenal voice acting and performances across the board, but all eyes are on Keanu because he's the flashy bit of casting, and he's just not a very good voice actor, you know, that is a very different skill set, and for whatever reason I just think Idris Elba's like tone, performance just fits this world much better like, he's very world-reary and, crucially and whether, you know, maybe this is just because I like Idris Elba in other stuff, you really you really, like, want to kind of like impress him you know you really like him it's quite a canny bit of casting for making you kind of feel very like allied to him which is kind of at the heart of the the dilemmas in the game is kind of like how much you're going to go with this guy or not and you're like well i don't really want to let idris elba down (laughs) which that's this is kind of how i felt about it and that's that does give some of the choices a a bit more weight than they might naturally have because in the main game there was just a lot of stuff about like you know, you're gonna cyber Johnny, and it's like I kind of fucking hate this guy, and I don't really buy him as a thing. You know, yeah. I always found him like qu- quite hard to kind of gel with. And maybe that's not Keanu's fault. Maybe it's just the character itself. But um, yeah, I this is this is this is good. Like, you know, it's kind of Idris Elbow, more in like stringer bell mode, just right. like quiet, authoritative, and uh, you know, it's it's a mode I really like.
0: Well, that's the thing it's, uh, he is one of the most miscast actors right Uh, in terms of like his potential versus the the outcome for his career that there that has ever existed like in when you see stringer bell you are like this guy is all raw potential and then it's just been Mm. lots of times where i felt like he's massively like in the wrong the wrong role like um the suicide squad was a really good example of that he just wasn't funny he wasn't he did not gel with that cast and he was completely out of place in it it didn't it didn't work and i've I've encountered that a few times with him over his career. So yeah, yeah. it's good, good. to hear that it's you know it's a it's a it's the right fit. Is he doing um is a British accent or is he putting it on the uh, no he's doing,
1: he's doing American accent. yeah. Well,
0: weirdly that is what people seem to enjoy about him. So yeah, yeah, I. I...
1: I don't know if it's because I encountered him first in the wire, but I've always struggled with his act, his like natural voice a bit. Yeah, same. Um, which is dumb, but I, actually, yeah, you know, it's I, same I, with I,
0: Christian Bale. It's same with Dominic West as well. Whenever I hear Dominic West go, right. uh, "Hello," in real life, I'm like, <laughs> "You are, <laughs> It's better when you're doing your slightly caricatured Baltimore cop accent, you know. So, uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, he does, he does, he does sell it really well, and like you know the character model on him is pr- pretty amazing as well in the same way like with you know it obviously looks like him in the same way that that johnny silverham looks like keanu reeves and mm. um like the kind of sort of stillness to him and like the hard glare from him just i don't know just suits their character models and engine and animations really really well right
0: so it doesn't significantly push forward cyberpunk really it's it's just a really good slice of cyberpunk is basically what you're saying yeah
1: yeah i'd say so I mean, one thing it does do which maybe will be of interest to some people anyway is uh it gives you like a new ending to the whole campaign oh, like okay. an option like an option in the same way that you have like these various options at the end of the, the the normal campaign you now have another option on top of that which is tied to what happens very specifically within this um within this expansion, which I really rate. I think it's an ending, I don't want to spoil it, obviously, but it's an ending that addresses some of my problems with the original ending in quite a clever way and kind of recontextualizes some of those other endings. Some of the things I found unsatisfying about them and I would have voiced the opinion of, well, they should have done this instead. They kind of do do the the, this instead (laughs) and show you that maybe you didn't want that after all, you know? Which which I found I found quite interesting. It's totally very different, very different energy to the other endings. Yeah. Um, Well, the bad ending in that game was
0: was also bad in the sense that it was like basically tied to the fact that you didn't make enough mates in the side quest to like get you the good ending. And I just thought, yeah,
1: there there isn't really a good ending, Cyberpunk. That's that's like the slightly sort of nihilistic bit of that game Mm. is that kind of whatever you do you're slightly fucked yeah um and you know not to just relitigate cyberpunk 2077 but you know one of the problems with that is that if you if you play the game fully and you make friends with everyone there isn't actually an ending that brings everything together particularly neatly it's always kind of you you basically have three different faction endings and all the other stuff is kind of ignored which is why i think you know that sort of there's an unsatisfyingness baked into it um this remedies some of that uh in in a way um Mm. but it's definitely it's definitely interesting it's one of the bits of it i was like most curious about like what's this new ending gonna be you know is it gonna because because the witcher 3 blood and wine kind of gives a new ending you know it's kind of about like retirement and what happens to Geralt once the quest is done like that's the vibe of the whole thing this doesn't quite do that because it's the expansions designed to be played like in the middle of the campaign it's not like and it doesn't go after the events of the the main story so it just feels like a like a a mad romp that you can go off I'd be interested to hear actually how people feel about it if they were playing this game for the first time and organically encountered this adventure which takes them out of Night City for quite a long time to go and like do this other thing because you know given the whole setup as you've got this ticking time bomb in your head the idea that you can go for this little like romp in Dogtown is it's kind of you know a bit contrived but you have to kind of deal with it. Interesting so does, does Dogtown
0: have any particular sort of like visual elevation over the rest of the game because they've obviously made this just for next gen consoles right so it's not actually on ps4 and xbox one this time like does the does the city is it particularly detailed or exciting versus the other areas of the
1: city or is it kind of the same deal really it's sort of the same deal like it's quite a high there's there's quite a lot of sort of skyscrapers in it like it, it like i say it was meant to be very glamorous but it wasn't quite finished so like It still looks pretty ugly. It's actually, like, quite war-zony. Like, the roads are all kind of fucked, and it's quite hard to drive around. It's not a very satisfying driving place, but it's it's so small that you could probably walk it quite comfortably or, or like, use cyber-fucking-heels or whatever to sprint around. Just like Um, Bath, Matthew. (laughs) Yeah, it's basically like Bath. Um... Uh, I haven't worked out where the Chando's Deli of Dogtown is. <laughs> which bit of Dogtown do we go to, at least? Actually, I do know it's up on the cliff. Um, <laughs> for those that have played it, um, yeah, I, a couple of other things about it that, that are quite neat. It's it adds a few more like open world activities. There are like airdrops that come in, which if you kind of get to them fast enough, you have a little fight, and then you get some like rare bits. Feels like those are designed just to give you some. Like very fancy bits of cyberware and upgrade parts so that you can play with the new cyberware system quite easily. It's like almost like a shortcut to get to some juicier builds. Um, there are some cars that you can steal from Dogtown and then deliver outside uh, to like a fixer in the outside night city they're basically there to show off the car combat because every time you leave Dogtown, like everyone's suddenly fucking swarming you and you have to shoot out the window but i i get why they do that because they've added car combat and they, they want to kind of show that off um and, and it pro- probably the other thing of note is that it has like the gigs that the main game had which are like the not the full-on side missions but the you know go to this location and steal something and actually the quality of those is quite elevated like Mm. they've got a lot more storytelling within them that was that was a big complaint of mine with the base game was that i feel all the gigs were just like a building with guys and then you'd hack a computer and <laughs> they felt very undercooked yeah you'd read their entire backstory after ha- having murdered them all kind of right thing. that's the yeah. thing it was like here's the world building on a data pad that you find at the end of the mission you're like this blows but now they've got like characters and you have to make choices in them and that they're much closer to the proper side missions of the main game Mm. um so like they've definitely it definitely feels like an expansion which has addressed the complaints of of the main game like they've obviously gone out of their way to like really try and and deal with these things um i'm not saying my edge review really got some whatever but i did i was actually tickled by how many of my things were very specifically targeted by this expansion interesting well mm. i guess
0: it just shows they're listening to to feedback you know and uh, yeah and this is this kind of is the last proper update, isn't it, for the game, really? So yeah. it's like this is kind of their send off, really. Do you think they've closed the loop on the the narrative of this game, Matthew? Because when we did that podcast, I think it was last year about about it, where I played it through the, for the first time. I did think it was um, pretty good. I think all of the things you say about its limitations in terms of choices and. Um, and the and some of the mission design was all completely fair, but like the game was was at least pretty nicely polished then. And now it seems like they've gone one step further into you know leaving it. So if you discover this game three four years down the line, you download like the complete edition, you're gonna have a great time. In I guess much the same way that The Witcher three, they kind of like that's always packaged up and you know has this mm. kind of like evergreen um, reputation. Do you think that Cyberpunk is now in a position where? It will just it's it's very satisfying as like a whole.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely the best it's ever been. It's probably the best it's ever going to be. I, it, like I said, I don't think it's a top top tier like RPG. I think it is a step down from The Witcher Three personally in terms of what I, what I enjoyed about about that game and that world. Mm. I'd say it's finally a very solid eight for me it's right, like yeah. where that game's landed, and they can absolutely take that and run with that in a, in in an inevitable sequel um there's there's still just some fundamental oddness in in how big that world is and how they choose to use it and what's actually in it and and like i say the the kind of the it's not really an r p g as i as i sort of see it or think about them or what I value in them I don't think is there but um you like building colorful combat builds this is great for that but maybe that's just not part of a rpg i'm like into like that's almost got more in common with how you think about like a destiny build you know it's kind of how do you change these endless fights you're going to be having rather than how do you change the kind of fabric of this world with your character
0: yeah exactly i had no real sense of that i was just like okay i've got the springy legs installed i'm delighted and then just kind of (laughs) right and that's fine
1: and that's that's fine but um yeah, uh yeah. yeah. There's there's been some, some absolute walloper takes around this game of like either it's finally become a ten or the people are like, it was always a ten and Oof. you're just like Come on! I mean, you're just not doing your job if you think that. Like, you're you're either a liar or a fool.
0: (laughs) Amazing! That's the um, the Sunday morning spice I was hoping for in this podcast. (laughs) I think it's like an eight in a ten world. That's how I feel about it. Like, (laughs) right? You know, the world world is like is really amazing. Like, I think you just have to look at it. If you got, it's still the most next gen thing I've seen in a game. This this open world for sure. Even though it was on last last gen formats and obviously ran badly on there, but um just the just the setting the like the you know the effort that went into making it as this high fidelity incredible world it's just that is amazing to boot that up on a ps5 and go look the fuck at that that is still something that's true about this game but eight seems fair for what the um the experience otherwise is matthew i look forward to digging into this i might say this for christmas though because i don't think yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not putting cyberpunk on my game of the year list so uh, no it's yeah. this is like a this is like a great
1: like pretty 15 hour romp
0: mm, nice yeah, so that's you know very reasonable in the context of this year um, when you think about mm. it. So that's good. All right then, Matthew. So I guess like my first game is on along similar lines, really. Um, so Resident Evil Four. Separate ways I've been playing. So oh, this I- week, you play as Idris Elba in Resident Evil Four. <laughs> in a red dress? No, it's um, this is uh, <laughs> you play as Ada Wong. Obviously, for people who yeah. remember the original Resident Evil Four, there was like a, a side story element to this i remember i realized i remembered almost nothing about separate ways other than the fact that it intersects with the bits of the cutscene where ada meets leon as you'd expect and there was a bit with a big boat and that's basically all i think anyone everyone who played it only remembers
1: the boat matthew Um, i don't know if i ever finished the original separate ways
0: yeah it was quite i thought it was quite lukewarm like it was never whenever i would replay resident evil 4 i wouldn't replay separate ways it wasn't that kind of thing so um so with this though i you know i was obviously the resi 4 remake we were very impressed by i i think i still stand by the idea that it's it's probably the best third person best modern third, third person shooter that i've played in terms of how how good those mechanics are how good the guns feel um it's so it was such a successful update of the combat dynamics of the original resi 4 um they took what worked and then um and then built uh sort of like a and contemporized it, i suppose and so this comes along, it is eight quid, which is a very low price, very reasonable mm. price. For basically... You sound like the merchant. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's like, I think it's like five hours long. It's a similar deal, but what has changed is it has the same production values as the main game. So you have cutscenes, quite a lot of cutscenes actually with um with ada interacting with um uh Luis, and obviously um eventually leon and also uh, albert wesker and um other characters mm. who you encounter in the story that side of things is fleshed out a lot more the other slightly interesting thing it does is it it actually has it, it reintegrates some of the cut content from the base game that wasn't in the remake so right. uh, i don't want to spoil what all of that is but let's just say the cable cars that's one of them right so right yeah so which is an interesting choice because it got me to sit and ask: Would I've just preferred to have these in the base in the base game? Which right. and I, I think the answer is yes, I would. I would have, <laughs> but but it's still nice that it's in it's in here. And I think actually, what's interesting is that this sort of functions as fan service in some ways. It has a reference to Dirty Treasure which I don't think was in the base game, but um, people might remember in Resi 4, the original, there was like, if you didn't shoot down this little like wooden panel thing yeah. and you shot down some treasure and it fell into the dirt, then it was basically like worth nothing. Um, and, and this, um, there's a bit in this where I shot down some treasure and it landed in a muddy puddle and then ada just went oh i don't want it that badly and then she just leaves it there to kind of like sink into this like brown liquid (laughs) and i thought that was nice because i don't think there's any i don't think there's anything like that in the the base game so that kind of like felt like the statement of intent to me like that and like a lot of interaction between her and So i was like oh i'm playing fan service here that's kind of what this is really which is just an interesting philosophy to take with a with a sort of like um, a bit of single player dlc eight quid is very reasonable so it feels quite generous i saw someone say that it's about the length of Resident Evil Three remake, <laughs> and it's a oh, lot, really? and, it, and like, it's a lot yeah. better because five hours. I mean, you know, I think. I think being honest resi uh, 3 remake probably took me about seven hours i don't think i got it done that quickly but mm. um but i can see why people are comparing it favorably it remixes some existing content like it's got like a, a big el gigante fight but it has a, a different mechanic where um ada has like uh, one of the interesting things that ada obviously brings to it she has like a grappling hook um it can only attach to like you know uh, several points in the map as you might expect mm. but um, what that means is there's this um, el gigante fight with a big troll lad is running at you um except you are going from building to building, and the El Gigante can destroy those buildings while you're stood on. Oh, them, nice! And then chuck rocks at you, and you're just. It, but it's a it's a different approach to something you've already played. And I think again that sums up what this um the Steel seek does quite nicely. So yeah, mm. I'm, uh, I think I'm like I think I'm f- uh, five chapters in, something like that. But mm. yeah, it's a it's a generous chunk of game, and you know, it's a obviously a nice reminder of what the game does well. It does the kind of like the arc of gun upgrades in sort of fast motion so you've already got a pretty good armoury from the, basically the start which is a good, which is a good thing. Um, it mm. expects that you've played it before and uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know if story-wise it's that nutritious but gameplay-wise I think that it's it's more Resi 4 remake and it is, it is different to what you've already played. So, mm.
1: When I think about so it, it, can... it does things like show that she rings the bell and things like that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's inter- it shows how she intersects with that whole village set piece. Like I think I believe like in the fur one of the first set pieces is you're in the village and Leon is under attack from everyone else. They're all swarming towards the building with the shotgun in it that Scott um, Leon. Oh in yeah, and then yeah, you're doing your bits around the outside. I think that's right. My memory has gone to gone to fuck this week. It's been um it's been a busy <laughs> one, but um yeah, it's uh it's just really uh yeah it's just it's it's just better than it had to be like i think um i think the original separate ways is actually longer than i realized it was i looked at how long to beat i think it was about four hours long so it wasn't like super short i remember it being like an hour or two hours or something but yeah yeah i think they might have added like another one to the the ps2 version another ada bit um and then maybe i'm confusing it with that
1: but either way well, I thought a... Separate Ways was added for PS2. I didn't think it was in the GameCube. Was it? Is that right? Okay, that's yeah. And then and then they add and then you could play it in the Wii edition. I think was the maybe the first time I played it. That makes sense. Yeah, because I I was um,
0: uh, uh, yes, it wasn't part of the original GameCube release. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So it kind of was the yeah the slightly cheaper content added to enhance the PS2 version. Yeah. That makes total sense. So that's that would explain why you've not really you've not really played yeah. it, Matthew. So yeah worth digging into there are there's other stuff in there to be found the other thing that it adds is um it gives you ada and uh, wesker in mercenaries as well and i think it gives right. you another mercenaries map i've not dug into that side of things too much but <laughs> when i think about the fact that when resi five did like um it's lost in nightmares dlc which i really liked and um and the desperate escape dlc which is less good those those combined were basically what this cost, and they were that was probably about three hours of game between them. They were pretty short, pretty slight. This is like a a lot more substantial. I think it's more plausible that when you play Resident Evil Remake again, you will also play this, which is you know quite high praise I think the yeah. fact that it has all those cutscenes just makes you realize they've not just treated it as a bit of a knockoff bonus mode. It is basically meant to be an expansion pack. So yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's, it works for me, Matthew.
1: Would have been fun if it was... I mean, I know this is you know wishful thinking, but if it, if it had been baked in, um, you know, one of my kind of like minor complaints about Remake was when you get to the end, you don't get that kind of exciting rush of Capcom extra goodies unlocking, mm. which would have probably felt a bit more special in the moment if they just had, you know, bitten the bullet and putting it, put it in there. But like, I'm, I'm curious how many people will play this because is dlc you know
0: yeah yeah it, yeah exactly so it's it, it could be it could be easy to miss but i think because they've been doing like loads of price drops with resi 4 remake recently i've right. seen it for like 30 quid and stuff it's more right, plausible right. i think that you'd pick up the pair of this for like 38 yeah. quid or 40 quid well
1: and that's a, you know be a game of the year edition and then like a year down the line you'll be able to buy village you know village uh seven village in this for like a forty-pound bundle or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so pay all of
0: it. Yeah. There's like I don't think I ever see any game on price promotion more than the Resi Four remakes. Like the right, or yeah. the Resi the Resi remakes in yeah, general. Yeah, they yeah. are always on sale in various packages yeah so yeah. there's there's something else that said actually i don't know i don't know if this some of this might have been in the launch trailers you might have seen it but there's there's something else that's missing from four that's in this as well so mm. that's a, that's a nice addition so i think it just attempts to close the loop on resi 4 remake in a nice way is it the perviness <laughs> no, it's very unpervy. It's a very, uh-huh. um very tame the
1: uh, Ada dress, isn't it? In there, uh, in this, very practical, practically dressed into the. I, I really love the, loved the Ada character model and voice actress in this, though. I, yeah. I really like that. In four, I just, I, I, I thought she fit it brilliantly. She got a lot of shit didn't she? And I, yeah, well she's mad because she's great.
0: I think it's because she gives like a live action performance more than a voice like a voice performance like it's and that's right. where she's slightly different to the other characters like if you saw her playing ada in live action i think you'd be like oh i could i really get this um but, mm. but like because she is a she's just more subtle than the other characters it's just that's the sort of difference there but no i i, yeah. I agree they really um that's that's one of the magic things about the the re- resi remakes generally right it's the look of the thing they just they mm. they started with that and got that right and so yeah very satisfying but yeah, yeah in some ways i am torn though because i would I would slightly prefer to have had that that cut stuff in the main game, um, right? Because right. it's just it just adds a little bit more meat on the bones to something that was already very easy to recommend, you know. So yeah, yeah. Well, that was well, that was one of mine. Um, we got to come to another very sexy one of yours, Matthew.
1: Well, moderately sexy uh, <laughs> Assassin's Creed Mirage, which I've only played about six seven hours of. It's kind of an interesting one. It feels like. Smaller, quote unquote, maybe slightly easier to make stopgap between like the absolute giant monsters that they've been making recently. If you've got like your hundred hour Assassin's Creed RPGs, your kind of Origins, Odyssey, Valhalla, the pitch of this one is kind of like a little bit more restrained and they've framed that as a little bit more back to basics. So the pitch of this is you are in. 10th century 11th century baghdad playing as basim who is the assassin who trains you to be an assassin in valhalla so it's kind of almost a a direct prequel to valhalla has led some corners of the internet to say that this is glorified dlc because internet's gonna internet and (laughs) it's fucking dumb narratives onto everything yep building an entire city that sounds like a dlc to me like it clearly isn't as big a game as those other games i think that is reflected in the price i want to say without even being refusing to look up on google what it is it's like 45 quid so it's a a, a little bit cheaper than than the, than the, the main entries and yeah, they, but they've taken this, this slightly smaller game, you know, they're, they're certainly the PR line is that they're kind of going back to basics and they want it to be a little bit more like Assassin's Creed 1, Assassin's Creed 2. I think more 1 is is the vibe in that it is sort of stealth first. It is about assassinating loads of people in a city. I don't want to say like, Baghdad is like Jerusalem it's not but it's like in terms of color palette and vibe it's slightly closer than some of the other places they've done especially if you've played the last three where like big crowded cities it wasn't really the strength and because of that you know in those last few games I'd say other elements of it were dialed down like the parkour didn't feel quite as important here it's super important because you're on these kind of cluttered rooftops the stealth element is kind of represented in that combat feels quite stripped back like you're still quite capable but it's not like the power fantasy isn't you've got this huge spread of combat abilities to use it certainly isn't Valhalla or Odyssey which you know were very combat focused games so it's about sneaking around Uh, it's about investigating targets in this city and kind of uncovering this sort of network of conspirators. Which I guess is sort of thematically quite similar to Assassin's Creed 1 in that you have these targets and a lot of the game is kind of laying the groundwork for the bigger assassination missions so you go off and investigate. Obviously in Assassin's Creed 1 all those investigations were pulled from a pool of like five very bad mission templates like sit on a bench and eavesdrop or follow a guy and eavesdrop or just stand near them and eavesdrop. A lot of eavesdropping basically. This like, the missions are, are, are a bit more kind of fully featured. You know, you're doing a, a much greater range of things. A lot's been said about this free-form investigation. Like, you have this kind of um, clue board that you're filling in to kind of work out who everyone is. I think a lot of that is basically colourful framing for how these games have always operated. It's like, instead of a bloke giving you, you know, missions in succession before you uncover the main target, it's a cork board giving you those missions in succession Mm. like i I don't i I don't feel like there's anything particularly interesting going on uh, with regards to that so to to put rest to that marketing line you know this isn't like some fucking sam barlow assassin's creed where you're (laughs) kind of chipping away in all these different directions and discovering stuff it's you're very much playing the game on its own terms But I have enjoyed playing in the city like that. You know, that is the big thing that's slightly different here to the previous games. That's probably due to the fact that we haven't had a big city like this in one of these games for like six, seven years. Um, I was definitely sick of them by the time we got to like Origins. I did think the series needed to change. But actually here, stealth being the focus, they're being more of a wanted system. Like if you get caught, there's, you know, running up to the rooftops, escaping, breaking line of sight. I definitely got bored of that back in the day. But here I don't mind it as much because I haven't done it for a while. And it's all quite, it's all quite slick. I guess the big problem I, I do have with them doubling down on it being like stealth assassin's creed again is that assassin's creed has never been a very good stealth game its stealth systems just aren't sophisticated enough like its ai is too basic like this is still a game where best tactic is to crouch in a bush whistle guards over one by one assassinate them in the bush as long as you're standing in the bush you can assassinate them even if their mate is looking at the bush that's been true of like the last five six of these games and it hasn't moved beyond that they've tried to give a a more aggressive stealth momentum i guess Mm. in that you charge up this focus assassination which is is quite like sam fisher's mark and execute from conviction in that you mark three guys and then you'll you'll chain assassinate and it's basically you, you sort of teleport between them it's like whoever you get you can assassinate so often there'll be a combination of guards you couldn't possibly take out one with the other two seeing but so you, you build up this focus assassination by doing smaller kills and then fire that off that's quite satisfying but again you can also sit in a bush and whistle them over one by one. So as long as they give you that crutch, I don't know if this will ever really convince as a stealth game. And I actually, I, I'd be up for it. I don't know if the mainstream audience would. Like, there's a reason stealth games don't get made as much. Um, you know, the, the the feeling is their audience is that much smaller. Yeah. But this, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you agree with that? Or?
0: Yeah. Well, I think, like, in some ways, it's depressing that this is the main touch point for a mainstream audience with a stealth mechanic you know what i mean right they're more likely to have encountered it in assassin's creed than any other type of game i would expect because there are so many of them and they're so widely available so to a lot of people i think that assassin's creed is what a stealth game is you know yeah Um, i you know i don't i don't mind that assassin's creed has always had like these i guess quite broad mechanics like they're easy it's easy to pick up and play because it's built for a gigantic audience it was the original game that did that you know that that sort of said that this doesn't need to be complicated you don't need to have a jump button you don't need to have hard stealth you don't need to have hard combat that it can all be done with um you know a couple of button presses or holding down a button or whatever and i but i think it all these years down the line I do think that element of it could probably use some mixing up if it still sounds
1: like it's kind of the same as it was, I don't know, what, 15 years ago? Kind of similar, you know? That's the canny thing about saying, this is back to basics, is that you're almost meant to not question it because you're like, yes, this definitely feels like a stealth game from 15 years ago. Right, right. And it looks beautiful I will say with these games like I, I actually I'm a bit of a Valhalla apologist I, I quite like that game even though I never see people saying nice things about it like I liked the rolling hills of the British countryside I thought it looked phenomenal I loved the more aggressive kind of thrust of being a Viking in that world you know I don't think it ever quite squared the fact that you were a big loud angry Viking and also a very quiet stealth thing like right. those those two things were odd and you know, this by kind of boiling, you know, kind of getting rid of that combat. It does have like its own identity and it does look amazing. Like the city's really beautiful, the lighting and like the weather and the sand in the air or the kind of thickness of the air of, of being sort of near a desert region. I, You know, it, it captures that all really well. It's, it's certainly spectacular in that regard. I just feel like once you've literally done the stealth tutorial, you've you've done everything that game's gonna do stealth wise. Right. Um, and they can put it in more impressive buildings. Uh there's definitely there's actually there's 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 quite a few big buildings in Baghdad which allow for like inside stealth set pieces. Which is slightly different. Like they feel more like a, you know, I just did the one where you have to break a guy out of a prison and like working carefully through the innards of this prison, where you don't have the, the the kind of freedom to instantly just leg it up to the rooftops or escape. You're kind of penned in with everyone. Actually, that that did have a little bit of claustrophobia to it, which is slightly different to to the last few games, and I quite enjoyed that. But you know, so much of the time it's go to this boatyard and whistle guys into to bushes while collecting three doodads it's always three you know free three slaves or collect three scrolls or steal three you know shipments of something and Hmm. that that stuff is i don't know it just feels like it's completely run out of ideas right right and it makes me sort of excited for for the next one because the next one's clint hawking's behind it right
0: uh i i can't remember did they announce like three of them at once or something
1: yeah but i think his i think his is the next one and the idea of him coming in you know mr splinter cell the good splinter cell games and maybe like giving it a shot in the arm or like questioning its stealth fundamentals but at the same time like i don't know why they didn't do it here given that its pitch is it is the stealth assassin's creed this this year yeah and what that actually means is we've just stripped out everything that wasn't our same old stealth system so i'm really curious that we're recording this before the reviews have come out uh i am really curious to see how it's reviews because it feels like all systems that were in valhalla just missing a load of systems that were in valhalla right and i don't know if that's gonna like be particularly satisfying for people <laughs> <laughs>
0: what is the um? What was the deal with people's sentiment towards Valhalla then? Because I mean, this uh, one thing is that is notable. There's three years between this and the last Assassin's Creed game. That's a long time. Um, yeah. Now they did do a lot of DLC for Valhalla, and I think yeah. it was. I think it was a very successful game. Like even I think in the second year, maybe it made more money than the first or something like that. It was a lot of people kept buying it and buying the DLC. But I yeah. remember people people really liked Odyssey, right? And so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so I don't know if people just like again had a, had enough of that formula after three games. Origins, Odyssey, that, and Valhalla were kind of a trilogy I, in their cell in themselves.
1: Really. Yeah, I I think I think it was it was pure fatigue. I never I didn't get on as well with Odyssey. Like I, I found the tone of it and the setting of it great. You know the kind of the the sunny kind of Greek holiday you know, all these mad mythological things. Everyone really likes, you know, the Cassandra character in particular is really good fun. And I get all that, but I found it so bogged down in like the loot dropping and... I don't know how much Odyssey you played, but it had this system where the war is constant throughout the game, and it endlessly generates side objectives which you can use to swing the war one way or another. But it is fundamentally an endless war, so it's a world that you can't like ever fully kind of cross everything off because mm. it's always generating more chores, more map filler for you to do. Right. And, you know, I liked Valhalla in that it stripped back a lot of that loot. Like I probably changed my loadout a couple of times across a hundred hours. It was finite. You could actually finish bits of that map and go, well, I don't ever have to really worry about that ever again. And I also, you know, I liked the Vikingness of it. I liked the aggression of the combat. I actually I preferred the sort of the violence and the punch of the combat in, in Valhalla to Odyssey. I, I just thought it was a better game all around. I, re- I, re- I really quite liked Valhalla. It very almost made my top 10 for that year. But yeah i think everyone else was just bored of it there's a lot of anti-ubisoft sentiment as well so i you know and i get that it seemed at the time it just wasn't the cool thing to like for many different reasons yeah Um, it's been an odd ubisoft generation
0: right yeah like it like quite strange like when you think about just how much they dominated the 360 and ps4 generations those were you know i feel like their games were very much at the forefront they were like the big deal far cry 4 huge deal you know Assassin's Creed like had a bumpy start with Unity but people like as discussed people really liked Origins and Odyssey and then this generation Valhalla was a cross-gen title there was a Far Cry title that feels like people were just not in love with the Watch Dogs Legion which was interesting but didn't people didn't seem to love either and so they now seem to be going to more of a licensed game sort of like paradigm I guess like doing Avatar and Star Wars which is a bit different but yeah it's, we're, we're three we're three years in and I don't know if there's been that Standard bearer
1: big Ubisoft game, yet you know what I mean. Like, it's everything's been lost still like Mirage is still PlayStation 4 as well, right? Like, that's th- they seem they just won't give up the previous generation. I'm not saying that's the key to it at all, but it feels like they're tethered to things that worked for the last 10 years, and you're right. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that's just because they haven't moved on from the last generation, but given that there was a period where they created three or four franchises which are still their their key franchises now mm. like it is sad that we haven't seen anything kind of new from them or anything interesting from them or what was interesting they don't seem interested in doing anymore like you know rayman was you know in such a good place to not make any more rayman games and whatever's going on with beyond good and evil 2 and you know look at their arduous journey of um fucking skull and bones you know a game based on a, 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 like almost a mini game from a game from ten years ago. Yeah, you know, it's like remember those boats you loved in in literally like twenty twelve now I think it was the first mm. time we saw the boats in Assassin's Creed and like that's just mad that they're so hung up on that. But they well, probably know that
0: Ubisoft like used the original Assassin's Creed to you know to basically kick the door down on that generation right and be like we're making this really sophisticated thing now the game ended up being feeling like more of a tech demo but they built on it in mm. some cool ways eventually um, Watch Dogs same thing for last gen right again like not exactly my kind of game um, in some ways but was like a big shiny next gen thing that got people mm.
1: excited about generation just hasn't happened this time which is just I weird think, I think Avatar is meant to like is mm. meant to be I think that's going to be their first it's not on PS4 game like it's their first new gen only game yeah yeah maybe I, I am over so that, like but it's, yeah. but then it comes with like fucking avatar baggage, which like even yeah. if that game's the best game in the world, a lot of people are gonna be so turned off by like. You know, sticking their tendrils into a horse or whatever it is. <laughs>
0: yeah, like there was some in, in that last trailer they released where, like, you were ripping dudes out of mechs or whatever. They looked pretty cool, but I just, um, I don't, I can't say it's like something I'm massively pumped for, and it's not something <laughs> they own either. It's like you know, that's Jim yeah. Cameron's uh, baby. So yeah, just a bit of a weird one. Um, yeah. yeah, and th- it was, a, yeah, and, and it was interesting for them to go all in on the kind of like this is like classic Assassin's Creed as you remember it pitch with this one. But the only problem with that is. I remember what classic Assassin's Creed is like because there are, there were like a million of them. Like, it's not something that even with a bit of time, I haven't built up like an enormous amount of like no. fondness for I, it.
1: If anything, when you see the bits in this that are lifted from those old games, they're never things you want. Like, guards being on their fucking heels for too long and you eventually... You know, that you've got those. it's got those weird little... um. I don't even know what they are, but they're on rooftops and they've they've kind of they look like confessionals. They've got like curtained boxes that you jump in to hide. Yeah, yeah. You remember those? I never really yeah. knew what what those things were for in, <laughs> in the original games, but they're back. So it's like finally you get to sit in a box while the AI plays out its search routine. Like, great. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I they appear. I, I feel like this is a game that's probably going to be about thirty hours long, based on like. The, stru- the structure of it mm. and like maybe you'd you'd rinse through that you know it this will come down in price this will you know that ubisoft games tend to you know appear in sales and things like you know tw- 20 quid if you're really into the assassin's creed lore and all that stuff like that that'll be fine but um yeah it just it it, it feels like it's sort of treading water it feels like a here's something Assassin's creed while we work on the actual... The the, the big important one is, yeah. is, the, is the feeling.
0: Yeah, I think the next one actually might be the Japan one. Um,
1: yeah, like I mean, a... that one, like, people have been dreaming of that one from, like, the beginning, you know. I think after Assassin's Creed 2, everyone was like, they're going to go to Japan, and then they never did. And, like, that's one you really have to get right. Like, that Assassin fantasy is so specific. If that's still... Just whistling in bushes and stabbing people with the hidden blade, like you'd be throwing away one of the richest like assassination settings ever.
0: Yeah, you also have a very real danger that it just ends up being Ghost of Tsushima again. Um, right, which like that game, that game has done something quite similar. Like it's not a stealth game yeah. per se, but it has stealth elements. Like it's, yeah, it could end up being
1: you don't, but I don't, you don't want a repeat of that, you know. But it is that's the thing. But Tsushima is like the it's the same. It, 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 there's this bar now of like cinematic stealth yeah. and it's Assassin's Creed, it's Ashima, it's the stealth in Spider-Man. You know, it's just, it's, it's sort of, it's maybe the stealth in like Uncharted and The Last of Us though, like they've got a little bit more going for them. I'd say.
0: Yeah, um, that's fair. That's fair. But they have other things it's... to to them as well. That's the thing.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, I just I just don't want to crouch in a bush anymore. You know.
0: Yeah, it's it's almost like a. Is it almost like a third? Oh, know. I would say it's not a third-person stealth problem because Metal Gear is a stealth game. Like Metal Gear Solid Five is a very sophisticated stealth experience. Yeah. And, like so yeah, it's just it's just the it's blockbuster stealth, isn't it? That's the problem. It's not, and it's yeah. not, and it's not interesting. That's the problem. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's
1: flashy, but it can't sustain your interest for like
0: a whole game. No, no. So I, I, I'm with you on that one. So oh, okay, well, interesting. Well, um, okay. Well, I appreciate your uh, your uh, your insight on this one, so, Matthew. Uh, yeah.
1: Like
0: I, I only played this yesterday, so quite rambling thoughts there, in Mirage. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, so we come to our last game of this episode, Matthew. We've both been playing this one, Cocoon which uh, is a game that featured in the Xbox conference this year. Is that right, Matthew?
1: Yeah, it was definitely at Summer Games Fest. I've, it's been popping up here, there, and everywhere.
0: Yeah, so how best to describe it. It's like a puzzle adventure game where uh, there are these this, a series of orbs you collect in the game, and the orbs contain entire worlds. And you use the orbs to both solve puzzles, and also you dive into them and out of them again to basically like solve our best oh it's a really hard one to like really boil down into a couple (laughs) of lines but uh, basically yeah you could you these these objects are key because you you dive into them as levels and then you use the objects themselves to solve puzzles and sometimes you will take one orb into another orb so you're basically carrying entire worlds with you at at once yeah Um, and you'll like leave worlds re-enter them some you won't enter for a while some you'll use just to store an orb and then come back later and like this but it's, it's a really interesting central hook for a puzzle-adventure game. It's got a lot of acclaim. It's sitting at 89 on Metacritic as we speak, so people really like it. And it's also from the lead game designer, um, uh, Jep Carlson. I hope it's Jep or Jeppy, Jep Carlson. The lead gameplay designer of Limbo and Inside. So uh, you know, much like Somerville last year, I guess it's carrying some of the, um, the prestige of those games. And... Mm. Okay, so it's on Game Pass, which is great. It means you can just play it. And I got to say, I think presentationally it's incredibly impressive. Like you're playing hmm. this little like fly dude. I don't know what his whole deal is, but um I'm sure the Is he a cicada? Something like that maybe. Um he's <laughs> got a little he's <laughs> got little wings and can occasionally fly from one thing to another. There's little a lot bug of like guy. little bug guy. There's a lot of like weird bug imagery in this one. Um and uh, yeah, you're basically just solving these puzzles. I I think it's like looks Incredible. It's very, very polished in its presentation. I would say that actually like the sort of simplicity of the presentation there's no HUD and there's no explanation of even how to play. The game just leaves it to you to to understand. Um and th- those things combine, the polish and that. That they that is where the similarities to Inside and Limbo are, I would say, Matthew. Just mm-hmm. that sheer level of like this is airtight. There are no bugs. It doesn't feel, you know, like it needs a patch or whatever. If that it was a...
1: play tested with an inch of its life.
0: Exactly. Whereas I think, like um, Summerfield, we can say didn't really. It was a little <laughs> right. bit, a little bit bumpier in terms of gameplay mechanics. Spectacle, absolutely incredible. But yeah, like um, gameplay wise, wasn't quite there. Um, that said, I think like uh, uh, so the f- interesting thing about this game is it's not that hard. Really, you will solve most of the puzzles without breaking a sweat um and that is one of the good things about it there is this like almost unbroken sense of momentum to it you solve a puzzle you run on the next thing and you it's always giving you these eureka moments but i think the real secret behind that is that none of its puzzles are that complicated and so i think that leads to a, a, a small problem where or maybe like a, a, a medium sized problem where your brain is not quite stimulated enough by it and you start right. to, like, I think in the second half, you start to phase out of it a little bit. That's, that's been my experience of it, Matthew. Yeah. It's, it's immaculately presented, but I'm sort yeah. of like, I'm nearing, I think I must be nearing the end, and I'm just, um, I fell out of love with it the longer it's gone on, which is a real interesting. shame thing, because I thought this was going to be the indie darling of the year from the yeah. way people are talking about it. And it's not, it's not quite doing it for me. How do you feel about it?
1: I would say hard agree. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, so I-, I thought one of the really interesting... Uh, i loved christian Donlin's review of this for year game where he gave it five stars and one of the things he kind of pulled out and sort of cele- sort of celebrated about it was that it, how it doesn't sprawl how it has a lot of tricks that it does to kind of cut you off from stuff that isn't important anymore to kind of keep you focused on the problem like it's almost it's central mechanic is so potentially mind-boggling that it has to kind of do a lot of work to kind of keep it tame and workable um, which leads to that like momentum and he, he was celebrating it as like this is very elegant to like take something this kind of crazy and out there but also have very kind of clear cut rules of how it behaves and you can't really, you know, it won't let you walk off in the wrong direction or anything like that, it won't let you make stupid mistakes, it won't waste your time but I think it does all that to such a degree that i don't really feel like i solved most of it i felt like i did the only thing that was available to me in any given moment Mm. um your actual interactions, so, like, you have these orbs, which are, like, like, you say, these nested worlds, and, you know, the pitch of that, of, like, you can take an orb into another orb, and you're like, whoa, that's pretty crazy. And it's like, you you can do it on these very specific pedestals, and you can't drop an orb anywhere. You can only put it on these very specific spots. And, re- and often, there is only one place you can put an orb in those situations. Mm. So as long as you do the thing the game is so obviously telling you to do, <laughs> like you will just you will do this game and i think the magic of it and this isn't to put it down like the magic of it is that like you can still be like wow conceptually that's really clever Uh, you know and i'm really impressed by how they visualize that and you know the idea of this puzzle is really great but i also feel like if it's the only solution available to you it's not really a solution at all it's as linear as anything and i think that's kind of a problem in a puzzle game um and it's what stops it from being, you know, like uh, like the, the masterpiece. I think a lot of people think this is, and that's fair enough if they do. I think it's you know what it is is a very enjoyable like you say visually impressive frictionless trip from a to b which Mm. i enjoyed like it wasn't a waste of five hours or whatever but neither was it like this will stay with me forever because i really worked it out i mean i'd say there are like maybe two or three exceptions to that i think there are a couple of puzzles where actually it, it, it does open up enough and do stuff with the nested worlds and like worlds within worlds, and what happens when something on layer A has to reach layer D within that. And but it only does that a couple of times, it almost like it's so disciplined, it's like so play tested that it doesn't want to repeat itself ever. And so, there's no iteration on puzzles, there's no bagginess, but there's also only one opportunity to enjoy a few of its best ideas. I also think another thing it does so it has the worlds within worlds which is like a key mechanic but also the orbs themselves when you defeat a boss in in the orb worlds the orbs um they have like abilities which you then use to solve other puzzles Hmm. so like there's an orb that reveals invisible platforms there's an orb that solidifies kind of gas platforms those mechanics, I think, are pretty boring um, and not very interesting puzzle mechanics. Walking around invisible platforms, I've seen that so many times. And the, the one which solidified things and then dropped through others, like that to me is, is such a distraction from like the nested orb thing, which is interesting. I, I was really surprised at how much of that stuff, which just is only fine is yeah. in this game it's um
0: it, that that um solidifying platforms thing it's basically like the when you jump in mario 3d world and then like right. the entire an entire platform swap locations depending right. on you know whether it's jump yeah, one or right. jump it's, two yeah. yeah
1: that's that yeah that's exactly it's also there's a um in mario galaxy 2 there's electric yoshi who Creates platforms around him when he illuminates. He's like light bulb lo- Yoshi, and he like illuminates platforms. You can. I've just I've I've seen that a million times before. Which, given that, it also has this huge idea that I've never seen before. I'm kind of surprised that other other stuff made the cut. Hmm. Uh, is is kind of my big takeaway from this. But like, I would still like say you absolutely play this game. Like I I I get why people love it. Like it's it's so it's so well made, and so seamless and the the, the wordless element of it is is definitely to be celebrated like it's an elegant beautiful thing but is it actually a, a, a properly good puzzle game outside of a couple of like set piece blockbuster nested world moments i'm not sure
0: no and the other thing is it is a perfect game pass game right it's like, right. like like i say it's about five hours i saw some people saying it's three hours that's a lie it's only three hours like if you if you like never ever stop and you have a walkthrough i would say like it will take you a bit longer than that um but like it's um yeah so it's it's enough for you to easily fit inside a weekend or a couple of evenings and and for that like that's that's perfect for game pass right it's sort of what you want yeah. it's how i felt about playing norco last year right but like At the same time, it's no Norco. No, it's no Norco. It's it's definitely not. So, yeah, it's. uh, I just. I. I think. I. My thing. My whole thing this year is I really do want to find like the some indies to have in my top ten list, you know, and that I will love. And I've just. I've just really struggled either with this this crop this year, or I've still not played the right ones. I've just bounced off of some of them and. Yeah, this is a weird one. I haven't bounced off of this as such, but yeah, I do agree. Yeah, that, I do agree that it has the, it has this amazing signature c- c- power, and then it has these slightly underbaked additional mechanics. That uh, I mean, the other thing is, like, there are other orbs you get, but it takes so long to get them, and then some of them don't seem to have any abilities attached to them, and it's just like, I don't know, it's just. Yeah, just it's really missing something, I think, um, in that respect. So yeah, but just second I, half I, of it. Just I'm just like switching yeah. off. I'm switching I, off. Totally. I,
1: actually, I I thought for the first hour or so, I was like, oh yeah, this is like a easy shoe in. This is this is great. I'm I'm really loving this, and I can't wait to see this get going. And it I just never really did get going. Mm. Um, it was like the excitement about the promise of it was never never quite met. Um, I, one thing I do really like about it is I really like the boss battles in it. Yeah. Each boss battle kind of has its own bespoke mechanic and it, they're all done with just the the analog stick and like one button. And they're kind of like Zelda bosses in that they are kind of puzzle, you know, you have to work out how to use the ability to kind of expose their weak spot. But they're just, you know, again, that's where like the really spectacular animation kicks in you know, it's all so smooth, it feels really satisfying, you know, it looks and sounds satisfying, like, th- those those, are really nice moments, so, yeah, yeah I f- it's it's weird, like, I, I uh, there's nothing in the 10 out of 10 reviews where I'm like, oh, I really disagree with that, you know, hmm. but I just, it didn't quite take off in a way, like, it's on paper clever rather than, like, in my heart clever, you know.
0: Yeah, and sort of like, I started, I just noticed that, but I agree about the bosses, they are incredibly impressive, and they are like, they give the game the visual spectacle that you you really want, and some of the, you know, the orb worlds, they do all look very different from each other, they do look cool, but I felt my heart sinking when I'd come to a new place and say, oh yeah, there's a gassy platform, there's like a little... A little sort of like notch to indicate there's like a floating platform there that my little orb will detect. And right. there's a barrier that only the little robot lads can get rid of. There's the little thing that catches the robot lads. And it's just, I was just like, ugh. I, that's how I started to feel about it as opposed to like, oh, wow, here we go, another puzzle set piece. It just, <laughs> it's just not quite adding up for me. So yeah, I feel like a real bummer because it's quite rare yeah. these days that I'm massively against that's the. A- yeah against the consensus but here we are that's, anyway. a, that's a that's a big contrary back page take but I like it. <laughs> yeah that's it we're both all in on um on not liking cocoon no i don't i do like it. i love it's that just... we're
1: all in on on god of war 3 <laughs> <laughs> but cocoon delicate beautiful cocoon absolutely not
0: <laughs> we just um past the anniversary of the uh, the death of queen elizabeth ii and that reminded me that when she died and we got that day off i spent that day playing god of war ascension <laughs> 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 it's what she would have wanted matthew um so yes uh cocoon not quite the one dog uh, so matthew shall we take a quick break and come back with some list of questions yeah let's do it observations are coming through very garbled today so oh i thought my assassin's creed bit was very unfocused so uh oh god i don't have an answer to this first one actually do you
1: yeah i do so yeah okay yeah
0: welcome back to the podcast so we've been given plenty of listener questions for reference to people who want to send in questions by the way you can join the discord there's a link for that in the twitter at twitter.com backpage pod and also in the blue sky account but there's also um uh, you can also just email us questions at uh, backpagegames at gmail.com. Also, if you add them at us on Twitter, I can add them to the, the sheets too. So just for also to let some listeners know, we have decided to skip some questions where we feel like we're getting a bit of repetition. Someone asked what your favorite subgenre of Hitman level is. I think we covered that pretty well. Someone asked us to come up with Hitman levels we play in real life. We literally did that whole bath thing where we, <laughs> we did the fake bath uh, level. So I feel like we've just done a few of those I wish things. I so. well, uh... <laughs> wish you well. Wish you well, but we won't be answering them this time. So well. Uh, no offence, dog. Okay. I've been playing Arcade Paradise, and on it there's a Frogger clone. A challenge was to complete a level without moving left or right. This led me to realise that you could move left or right on Frogger. Is there anything else you've missed in a game or have been blatantly playing wrongly and not realised? That's from Raph Rasile. Matthew?
1: Um, I never understood a CQC in Metal Gear Solid 3 until I watched a YouTube video about a year ago. <laughs> right. Like... There's just so many abilities that character has, I just didn't know existed. Like, I, just, I literally didn't understand the guy I was playing as. Like, all the different <laughs> things he can do. You know, I'd basically just shoot people in the head with the trank darts, and, and that's it. So, it felt like the whole sales pitch of that game I'd ignored. So, I might not
0: know this either. So, he can grab people, he can slit their throats, and he can choke them out. And he can slam people to the ground as well when he grabs them. And he Is can it- interrogate them. Yeah, okay, I did know all of that. Okay, that's fine then. Did,
1: yeah, that's the thing it, it is in there. It's all in the instruction manual. But like a lot of it is kind of you grab them, and then it's like the pressure that you exert on one button, right? Which maybe I've got like a heavy thumb, but like if I grabbed <laughs> you, you were getting knifed, my man. <laughs> <laughs> heavy
0: thumb. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I think that was. I think that's partly related to the PS2's analog controls. Like I think right. was. I think the analog buttons were maybe like it could better detect how how softly or firmly you were pressing the buttons. Yeah. I think that might be right. So um Yeah. Could... I,
1: there was a lot of, I I just never really understood it. I I knew it was there, I was just like I don't
0: know what that means. <laughs> yeah, fair. The pacifist run of MGS3 was never going to happen. Um I'm afraid I don't have an answer to this one. So um I have chucked in a bonus question Matthew from Coig about Arcade Paradise who did want to know from me, uh, related to Arcade Paradise. what my favorite arcade games were in there. So um i'll just very quickly say i like bomb dudes just basically bomber man that's pretty good space race simulator which is like a mix of wipeout f-zero and um and outrun like it, it presentation very nice that one and uh zombat 2 which is a twin stick shooter those are all pretty pretty good and then i obviously Ooh. like your yeah, classic sort of like darts and pool and um and air hockey all of those worked pretty well too the rest i don't know there was an inconsistent bunch but then it was like about 20 games inside one big game so didn't expect them all to be
1: masterpieces. So yeah. Uh, Matthew, do I read this next one? What game series do you think would make the best, worst, funniest musical?
0: <laughs> would any of them be good? Is my question. Like, no. You know. uh,
1: my my attempt at answering this uh, was I, I. really like the musicals. That was from Jamie, by the way. Um, I really like the musicals of Stephen Sondheim, right. who wrote uh, often about like quite like introspective people in like relatively mundane situations, kind yeah. of weighing up their life choices. You know, he isn't like Phantom of the Opera star spectacle. It's like a guy working out whether he should settle down, you know, with a partner or not. Kind of more like that, which was quite radical at the time to just write about, you know, quote unquote, boring things. Right. Um, so I wouldn't do anything like too bomb- bombastic with it i i don't think you could like make a gears of war musical for example right? <laughs> but i think that would be a disaster
0: gone um, home I, live
1: <laughs> well gone home is actually probably closer to something you could do as right. a musical like in terms of it being a smaller character piece i think i think you could make like a good sometime musical out of theme park or a similar management sim right about like the push and pull of like what makes commercial sense and what's like creative and what's what's good for your like artistic soul that feels like a very sort of sundimey subject matter right so that or if you want to be more spectacular we could do Jurassic World Evolution that that deals with similar problems but with dinosaurs
0: i'll pass that along to our exec team matthew so yeah uh, yeah okay um yeah so i, I was uh, there like the sort of comedy answer i got to this is you do um you get uh Lynn manuel miranda to do assassin's creed 3 the musical um because it's sort of like a similar time period to hamilton so <laughs> i think i could sort of like envision that i think like the pro- one problem i have and i don't know how other people feel about this but i feel like the combination of the simpsons Planet of the Apes musical and um, Streetcar Named Desire musical, South Park like Trey Parker and Matt Stone. They've, I think they poisoned my brain against like what a, like a sincere musical should be a little right. bit. So this that's happened where I'm like, could you make that? planet of the ape style musical about like metal the entire metal gear saga for example and what i like an epic undertaking that would be um that would obviously be terrible um so yeah i think matthew's suggestions would be that like along the I, on the better
1: side but yeah yeah i mean the the problem with trying to make a sunday musical out of anything is that sunday is like a truly singular talent and is is dead now sadly so it would like never happen um, uh, well, I think I can use
0: uh, chat GPT
1: to get the same effect, Matthew. Pretty sure it'll know. do the same thing. So uh, well, maybe, yeah. in, maybe in Jurassic World evolution style, we could clone him from some DNA, get <laughs> a new Sundyne, and make him write endless musicals for us.
0: <laughs> and on
1: that dark note, I suppose we move on to we got Sundyne out Matthew. of his amber. <laughs> <laughs> Just a full-grown man sitting at a piano in amber. That's what I visualise. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, that's much more twisted than I can ever have expected, really. <laughs> I think it's. I think that I feel the same way about it that I do about um, about you know vi- movies that made out of video games really. So it's in some ways video games are just meant to say video games. You know it's kind of what they're for. So and I don't, mm. I, don't I don't I don't think that even the best stories in games I want to see in other media. It doesn't mean I don't think those stories are comparably good to other media necessarily. I think a lot of them you know a lot of the writing sure is absolutely comparable. But I don't know. I, th- I feel like I'd feel the same way about musicals that I do about the last of us tv show which was a i was completely nonplussed by it you know so um, yeah although that again is another
1: very contrarian back page take Uh, up that's fine that's fine or or indeed uh, uh, i felt similar about the uh bowser peach song that everyone seemed to like in the mario movie very undercooked
0: (laughs) i refuse to watch that film under any circumstances
1: okay next question
0: matthew i'll read this one out hi samuel and matthew which games do you think took the skeleton of the gameplay and assets of the original framework and built them to build a variation with a twist that is as effective or even more so i've been playing a hitman freelancer mode recently and the roguelike elements and collectible weapons make it feel quite different with its limitations compared to the campaign setting some little lead person i've really got to fucking play freelancer at some point have you
1: given that go yet matthew Uh, this this is a huge blind spot for me and that's mad given what this podcast is about it's been a year it's been a year, though. It's it's hard. It is,
0: yeah. It's like it, it's it probably will not going to happen in twenty twenty three if I'm being honest. But it's I would like well, that's to. What you are saying? Yeah, well, you know, maybe we can do talk about it a little bit on the Hitman XL episode we do. I don't know, but um, yeah. Mm. Uh, so I got a few answers to this. I think that like um, Mirror's Edge is a game that comes alive when you you play it in time trial mode. It just is. Oh, I think. interesting. I think mm-hmm. it just you start to see the permutations and how you can like very quickly get across the map and what the difference of seconds will be and. There are not all levels, but there are a few levels in that that I I gladly replayed over and over again, trying to like optimize my score. Really enjoyed that. I think it I think it again just lets you highlight the mechanics and not think about the story. Um and yeah, just make you focus on the momentum side of things. Obviously, um, Resident Evil Mercenaries is uh, is, yeah. is an all timer for this, um, particularly Resident Evil Five Mercenaries, where it takes you to a bunch of those locations and turns them into excellent um sort of like levels where you basically have to always be on the run but you don't have many places to run to that's what i really like about mm, resi 5 egg. <laughs> exactly um i love a good skirmish in an rts i like the um, scenario editor in uh in age of empires 2 for example like that's again you are just using the same bones that the um designers have but you can build like ridiculous scenarios we have like 10 william wallaces fighting 10 joan of arcs that's like <laughs> that's king shit right there like i love that um so those come to those come to <laughs> mind matthew what about you
1: uh yeah i had merceries as well i was thinking about uh, assassin's creed's multiplayer mm. uh, taking its assassination and like ste- a social stealth and turning that into a game of identifying your targets but against a human opponent as opposed to the ai that was super exciting always a shame that they abandoned that um another hitman one i really like the hitman sniper assassin levels um like, how much they feel like a Hitman level, but all from long range. The idea of, like, manipulating people's fates, but with, like, a bullet from afar rather than up close and personal. I always thought that was very neat. Um, yeah, those were those were the biggies for me. But you're right about, sc- like, score attack modes. I mean, it's not quite this, but, like, some of the... Like, Bayonetta challenge rooms make you kind of connect with bits of that combat system that you wouldn't normally in your own fighting style, where it's, Mm. like, juggle all these enemies, you know, make sure no enemy touches the ground ever or whatever, and you suddenly have to just sort of, like, learn a whole other part of what this game's about. That's always cool.
0: Yeah, I suppose as well. Like you could say that um, along the same lines, like Death May Cry's Bloody Palace mode does this too. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you are, you know, you exit the framework of the main game, and it's all about your raw understanding of the mechanics. I mean, it's you know, the same applies, I guess, to like horde modes in um, the likes of uh, Halo ODST, which had a, an all timer uh, horde mode firefight, and then obviously Gears. Mm. Yeah, a few examples there. Probably some stuff we talked about before, but hopefully a couple of new ones too. Uh, Mm. Matthew do you want to do the next one
1: hello gents honoring your request could you come up with some video game cocktails that's from Betamax Bandit some context here uh yeah so um
0: I went to loading bar with um not loading bar sorry what was it called uh uh NQ64 yes NQ64 in London with Jay Bayliss. by the way when I told that story the podcast I asked him was that an accurate telling of the story that day and he was like it was eighty percent true and then it was twenty percent podcast entertainment factor layered on top of it was basically his response. So um I think he was fair there. So yeah, basically they had a lot of cocktails that were not particularly um particularly uh, like in, in sort of like imaginative. Um there was one that was just called Kirby that had pink gin in it, for example. Yeah, so weak. Yeah. Yeah, pretty weak. Um yeah, so what, what about you, Matthew? Have you got, got anything here? I got loads. <laughs> go go on and then cook. Let him cook.
1: they're not all good i got a hit manhattan that's good i like that (laughs) mojitoed a a long island iced tea virus (laughs) uh moscow mule but mule is the acronym mule from that atari 8-bit game (laughs) Um, amazing uh in honor of donkey kong country's rolling move i've got eight roll spritz oh oh that's great well done i've got a mario sunshine inspired drink called a floody
0: mary oh very good i had a um, on the i had april escape by the way that was one of the ones oh, okay. i came up
1: with yeah yeah go on sorry um my favorite one this is for, for skyrim uh i took an arrow in the martini oh <laughs> you can also uh, do i took an arrow in the negroni <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow mortal combat drink shangriya Nice. No. From Shang Tsung. Nice. I've uh, got a Soul Calibur drink, Voldo-fashioned. Right. Oh, my God. You're killing it. I've got, got one named after one of the weaker Hitman levels, Pina Colorado. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a bit of a stretch, but, you know. Uh,
1: uh. On my last one, I'm, I'm not ending on a, on a high here, uh, named after a terrible terrible vehicle section in Goldeneye, Cosmopolitan. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm afraid like I, I slightly misunderstood the assignment on this one, so, and only only a couple of my ones are puns. The rest were like I actually did think about the ingredients for them and Oh it was right. A...
1: Oh please go ahead. Yeah. Well I mean... no, I
0: mean I like, I just had one that was called T Virus, but it had like some of that toxic waste candy in it and then like some oh, nice. some like rancid ingredients in it. Um the only other pun one I came up with was um a, like a neon white Russian named after that he <laughs> came from last year. It was that that an April's um april uh escape was the only two i came up with and i can't compete with that matthew you absolutely killed it there so well done well done that was um truly you earning the patreon bucks there so i respect <laughs> it uh okay next question uh, greeting pods podbods. listening to the recent resi 4 and Mikami episodes for context here this was a question from a while ago we didn't answer and we asked <laughs> us to answer it again so we're, we're, we're doing it here has reminded me how that game is one of the best examples of an almost university uh, lauded title that i don't click with so many people including many whose gaming opinions i respect rank it as one of the all-time greats and yet it doesn't do it for me whatever that game is putting out i'm just not receiving i wonder if the pair of you have any good examples of games which are held up there as all-timers but that you just don't get on with, and what the reasons for that deviation from the consensus might be. Cheers and keep up the great podcast work. That's from genuine. I would think that many of these have probably become, have emerged over time, Matthew, with us doing this podcast now. Like games where we just don't get them, like Dark Souls, for example. But I guess I don't really question whether Dark Souls is good. I just know it's not for me. So, yeah. But that kind of is what he's asking, right? Because surely you, you, you've got to accept that Resi 4 is, is amazing, even if you don't like it that much. It's... There's, there's a few games like that for me. Like, you know, playing Valorant, for example. I don't really love Valorant. I just, but I, I respect it. You know what I mean? Like, or, <laughs> or, or, you know, actually, a really good example of this all MOBA games do not get those whatsoever. <laughs> oh, like, literally, that entire genre. I'm out on it. Like, I had the time i played with dota was some of the least happy times i ever had on pc gamer they were terrible so (laughs) that would be up there but i don't know there are there aren't like many i feel like our key techs have been established on this but there aren't many games where you and i are just completely down on them what what do you think
1: uh yeah and I, I, I guess an obvious one for me, and it came up in the Thursday episode, like Skyrim, Elder Scrolls more generally, but specifically Skyrim. For you know, I work with a lot of people who are obsessed with that game, and I really see nothing in it. Like I, that's one I just, I just don't get. I find it not at all immersive, very plasticky. I feel, I think it feels like a like a Disneyland animatronic version of a fantasy world. It just doesn't speak to me in any way, shape, or form. So. That's that's probably like the major one where I have to just kind of grit my teeth and listen to people bollock on about that. Um, <laughs> po- Pokemon, you know, mm. I, I don't like it because I'm a grown-up and I find it quite childish in its like outlook and language and the dial- it's the dialogue in Pokemon. I just, it, it ugh, awful. In terms of like, <laughs> like, I don't know that this is considered an all-timer, but a game that I know I deviate from a lot of people on and certainly a lot of peers who I know this is of an important game to them is uh broken sword oh okay interesting i really don't like broken swords uh it's everything i hate about point and click writing in that it's trying to do the kind of funny you know the sort of funny sort of point and click games are written by funny smart people but sometimes that veers into like slightly smug slightly sneering i i hate the, the guy in Broken Sword. Never liked him as a character. I just find him really off putting with his smug little observations about life and oh, it's, it's really grim. Some people might think I'm projecting on that because Charles Cecil famously walked out of that interview with me because he'd rather talk to IGN. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. I don't know if he talked about that on that podcast. Oh, I think I've told that story. Oh, really? I don't remember that. I, I feel but like I, I would remember that. And he stopped in with the answer and went, oh, there's someone from IGN and literally left the room to go and talk to them. <laughs> he'd, he'd rather talk to them. Yeah, those, those are probably the biggies for me yeah i've got a few more actually like thinking about it so um uh
0: the sims don't get that really like i just i, I just don't think the per, <laughs> the outcomes of that game are that exciting or like what happens to your characters is that exciting like i do like there's plenty of sim games i like like um sim uh sort of city skylines and stuff like that i'm, yeah, I'm big yeah. i'm big into like those kind of games but for some reason i just don't think there's anything that exciting about the sims and the way it does things i feel like there's just something <laughs> a little bit missing from it for me just but. got
1: the idea of a man speaking in that baby sort of sim language language and you just sort of grimacing at your pc at it, <laughs> it tickles me
0: well i just I, I might maybe i just had a bad uh, sort of encounter with it but i just i remember playing at a cousin's house in the first one in the uh, early noughties and just being completely like nonplussed by it. Like this is the game that people (laughs) lost their minds over. You build a house and then, I mean, the most interesting thing you can do is drown them or electrocute them. That's it. Like it's, I don't know. It's not like, I kind of want these games to be, more emotional depictions of people like I want someone to be like you can't go out for two years because it's a pandemic and then I want them to like their mental health to decline and their their relationships to decline and their children to go like completely mad and I, <laughs> like, I want that level of simulation but the games aren't about the psychology they're about selling you more furniture I don't know I, I, honestly like maybe when the um there's a, a kind of like a version of this type of game coming from Paradox that sounds like it might be a little bit more freeform, like moddable. I can't remember what it's called. The like, this world is yours, or something like that. It's called. I can't remember what it's called. But
1: right, I like... it's still a lot of that's about like decorating a house, though, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. But that that seems to be more the fantasy they're selling. Whereas I want to know what happens to people and what I can do with the people. I want their dreams to come true, their dreams to not come true. Like I just that is surely the more interesting angle of what that kind of game can offer than i've got they've do like they've added a fucking pumpkin spice latte to it now or like a new bookshelf you know what i mean like it's that
1: yeah i want i'm only interested in the sims if they add the option to turn a coffee table on its side line it with pillows and stick your head in it to be a podcaster (laughs) yeah it doesn't it doesn't reflect my house where are all the magic books
0: (laughs) well that's the thing is i just i think that's because also like when i think about my relationship with animal crossing a game i do like It's because I like the interactions between you and the other animals, the psychological warfare you can unleash by hitting them with bug nets, and like the the strange passive aggressive like letters you'll get from them and stuff like that. That that side of things is interesting, but no game's ever really simulated that in any meaningful way. But that is surely what what surely more people would find that interesting than I can build a house. I guess not. I guess like literally the sales of The Sims proves that's not true. But to me, to me, that would make it interesting, and it's not as it stands. You know.
1: It doesn't do it for me though. When I was working on RPS with Ash Liguri, they did uh, a lot of Sims coverage, and we did like Sim streams together. And seeing the kind of like how it tapped into their creativity was was super interesting, and I kind of understood it a little bit more after that. So hmm. maybe that's what you that's what you need to do: is to spend ten hours with somebody who's really into it, building a special house for you, and then you'll love it.
0: Yeah, i like I can, I can not generalise, but I feel like I'm outside the the target audience of The Sims a little bit, right, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. and that's fine. Not all games are meant to be for you, but I suppose I've just pitched my dream version of The Sims, and it's about just your your characters losing their minds, or you know, having their dreams fulfilled or, or, or wiped away. Another one that I played <laughs> this year, and then I I felt I fell out hard with, and that I actually didn't. I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast before, but. I could not get on with uh, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. It was just too old, too old to oh, enjoy. Oh, right, it. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I re- I respected the indie of it. I could see why it would be very exciting yeah. to you as a player back in the back in the nineties when when you know like um, and just hearing like a, quite a good Harrison Ford sound alike and you mm. know um, just being a framework for new Indiana Jones adventures. I could see all that, but yeah, didn't quite gel with that one. Um, That's you wishing me well. (laughs) Yeah, I wish
1: you well, Matthew. So, do you want to read the next question, Matthew? You are in court for your willful, cruel and unusual punishments, ironically dished out on your own Games Court podcasts. Which video game character is your lawyer? Who are you most scared to see as a prosecutor? That's from Welsh Boy Mick.
0: Yeah, uh, funny actually, Matthew. I was listening to that film podcast we like, and they basically came up with their version of Games Court in real time. And they're going to do like director's court for like, directors who have made like good films and bad films to see if they uh, hold sounds, up
1: sounds like someone's listened to games court. <laughs> maybe they're listening to us maybe it's gone full circle that ha- that hasn't happened no it hasn't
0: um but when i heard it i was like oh no they're gonna do this and it's uh, they, they, the one thing we was original to us is no longer
1: i think we've established court as as our thing
0: yeah, I think so. I very much think so. Um, so,
1: scared to see as a prosecutor,
0: I think um, uh, Revolver O'Slot be quite scary, you know? I feel like he would also dish-, dish out the punishment. He would just, like, riddle you with six bullets and then spin his little guns around. <laughs> that would be tough. Um, video game character is my lawyer. I think it's... I find this, like, a little bit harder but i think i just put um i put like thane from uh, mass effect 2 up there oh, i think yeah. he's, he's a very reasonable character he's very likable um thane or Garrus, one of those two would be fine um matthew what about you mm.
1: uh like on my side like arguing my corner like some i would probably want someone quite quite scary i was thinking like uh maybe this because i've been playing miles for and i've got spider-man on the brain but like kingpin from spider-man I could see him. I could see him being like intimidating in the courtroom, and also knowing kind of like legal workarounds. Like he could probably put pressure on the judge somehow to kind of get me out of it. So, Kingpin from Marvel Spider Man. <laughs> well, yeah, because he like in the comics, he and Daredevil square off a
0: lot in the courtroom. So that that makes complete sense, well, the, you know.
1: That makes perfect sense. Uh, in terms of prosecutor, I'd be more worried about like less than being scary, but more than being someone very sympathetic who everyone. Likes, right? So, like, I don't know, like a Nintendo, <laughs> maybe something <laughs> well, uh, where people are like, I know what people because a lot of this is like if you can win public opinion on Twitter, and maybe I'm basing this on the the children I follow on Twitter, but I know there's a lot of like, oh, lovely dogs or whatever. Um, <laughs> a baby Labrador has uh, yeah,
0: sent Matthew to the the slammer basically, or like,
1: no a- one wants to see a baby Labrador lose no but then like guess uh, guess you didn't prep an answer to this question
0: (laughs) (laughs) and so we move on to the next question instead um what was your most disappointing metal gear boss out of the whole series and how would you improve it that's from daryl this funny i I think like probably b-man in mgs3 is maybe among the worst ones um but uh, i think i think you have to throw in some of the high concept ones though like uh i actually actually think that maybe one of the worst ones is that last mgs4 fight like um, the spectacle is amazing fighting ocelot on top of that right on top of whatever that big big boat thing is but it's um it's a right pain in the ass like it's it's <laughs> melee combat only and it's not necessarily up to the task so yeah that's i don't know i don't yeah. i don't know how i'd improve it as such but then you have also got like the fortune boss fight in mgs2 which isn't really up to much i think like the way i'd improve that one is if there is some like work around where you can defeat her like um i always thought of the thing with fortune because she have got like this little device that means bullets like just go around her so they can't hit her surely if you just punch her in the face that will work fine you know what i mean like it's you know if you can, you must be able to grab her there can't be some field of gravity that stops you from just like i don't know poking <laughs> her with a stick or something like it's, <laughs> there must be something to do that so if you could if there was like an outcome where you could defeat fortune just by like avoiding her big
1: electric poking shots, poking her with a stick <laughs> You're like, oh, man, I wish we'd picked up that stick in the beginning of the rig that we did think was going to be important.
0: Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know if any of the MGS4, like, um, Beauty and the Beast fights are up to much either. They're a little bit hard work. They're, they're, like, they're all sort of like slightly worse version of other MGS bosses. Um, so yeah, those, mm. but they, all, they all look kind of amazing. So there's big mech ladies. So um, mm. yeah, uh, Matthew, what about you?
1: Yeah, I'd agree with a lot of that. I, I think Vamp's a bit of a bust in Metal Gear Solid 2. Oh yeah, that's probably fair. He just swims like, around. And it, grenades it just into like, water. I don't think there is a gimmick to it really. It's just a fight against a guy. Run- given that he's like a guy who can't die, you'd think there'd be some like creativity for like the number of times you fought him or yeah. something like that. Like you know, it's the castle classic. He should be a Mister X style unkillable boss who's just constantly on your on your tail that's kind of
0: that's the thing with mgs4 is you need to inject him with that thing in order for the him to actually yeah. be able to be defeated so yeah like I, I do agree he kind of just swims around in the water and then you throw grenades into the water that's, that's you like, do.
1: it doesn't sell you on like this boss's gimmick is he's literally undefeatable and i don't think they ever really find an interesting answer to that no no so yeah i think that's um those are some good examples there matthew
0: as for how you'd improve bee man it'd be quite funny if you did like you could just chuck some insect repellent at him and all the bees went away and then you just punch him in the face and he goes down like that'd be quite good if you just really undermined the premise of him by being like i killed all your bees <laughs> you have no bees or like left.
1: or y- you get the queen bee and then you become in charge uh, of the bees oh my god that's quite a good idea yeah you somehow then take you his have ability. the bee attacks yeah, and he's w- like not the bees, and you're like fucking throwing bees at him. <laughs> Fuck
0: yeah, you watch him get killed by his own like his own creatures. that would be quite a nice, ironic, sad MGS three death. So uh, yeah, okay, good. All right then. Um, next one, Matthew.
1: Question from Matthew primarily because I know Samuel's been giving this a wide berth. With the Discord's Tears of the Kingdom chat finally wound wound down, what are some of the best Tears of the Kingdom takes you've seen from other people, and what are some of the worst? They needn't be from this Discord, though I'd be lying if I wasn't interested in learning which takes pushed you away from that thread. That's from Balladeer.
0: I've never been in that thread, Matthew. Um, I've just
1: avoided it. I wish everyone in there well. I, I think I explained my Discord uh, weariness earlier in an earlier episode, which was more... Uh, the, the thing that gets me is the kind of granular beat-by-beat beat assessment of a video game. Right. Because this is not how it's designed to be consumed. So just like offering an opinion on an individual mechanic as if it has something to say about the whole... I I find that, you know, I love a through line. You know me. You know, I love a narrative. I love a take. I love a big take. I don't want to hear, like, I didn't like this one NPC. And you're like, all right, well, there's fucking 500 NPCs, so who cares? You know, like, I'm, I'm just, that 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 just doesn't interest me. Um, Sorry to Discord. And there was a lot of that in there. Um, <laughs> I... Not in a not in a mean or shade casting way. I don't know if I've read much amazing stuff about Tears of the Kingdom. Um I feel like th- there are lots of reviews where people were wrestling with it and just trying to get down their thoughts on this quite big, unwieldy thing. And I feel like there hasn't been loads of follow up writing, or I've certainly not seen loads of follow-up writing. I like I'm still mulling it over, like I've still haven't fucking finished the thing. Like I'm still still playing it, still chipping away at it. Hmm. Um I thought there was an observation out there about. I thought Simon Parkin, in his New Yorker piece, had written about the the kind of evolution of technology in this game, about how the power curve takes you from like quite crude vehicles to basically like modern day military vehicles. Yeah, I'm going to be saying I, that on this podcast. Yeah, it isn't. I, I imagine that take.
0: <laughs> Is but, that your take, Matthew?
1: I don't think it. There's a line in Edwin's. Titters of the Kingdom review about how you start off with just a paper glider bird and build it up into a fighter jet but I hadn't read that review when we did that podcast so I don't want to say the only good take is my take that I came up with (laughs) but that that's that's the take that sticks with me whoever said it whoever put it in my head um I like the idea that uh, I like the observation that the, the the power curve in this game is is in, is increasing technology and efficiencies, and that you are working towards almost like automation. You know, it's 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 the industrial revolution in fast forward. I think that's quite a a fun angle on Tears of the Kingdom's machinery. Anyway, um, but I I need to go digging for like takes that i really love just no take particularly lines up with how i feel about it i think is the problem but that isn't to say that the other takes are bad or that the discord takes are bad i wasn't really reading it that thoroughly Balladir, did to be honest i was just doing a bit on the on, a, on an episode so <laughs> yeah i've not been in there i think that
0: the what was in, i agree with you about the follow-up writing thing and i think that's because the divide on this game really is between did you want more of the same with some new ideas chucked in or were you like looking for something else from tears the kingdom that it didn't give you and i honestly think that is the divide that's kind of hit people here a little bit you know some people really did just want like more of more of tears the kingdom more of the same beautifully designed little kind of like puzzle dungeons to figure out the shrines and then um and also some new mechanics layered on top and you know different um parts added to the world without the world itself necessarily being brand new and i think that tick the box for some people and then other people wanted that blow your mind first time you've ever encountered something like this feeling that breath of the Wild gave them and i think yeah. that where you fall on that scale is how you feel about this game basically so yeah
1: that's been the divide there matthew but uh, mm. I'm sure well, I'm looking forward to relitigating <laughs> this in game of the year It's the most controversial well, I, you are gonna turn me full fucking joker with the wrong take <laughs> I can tell it I can see it coming from miles away <laughs> yeah I think that's
0: gonna happen that will set the tone for 2024 the dark the dark year of the back page podcast <laughs> okay now so we've got time for this week Matthew so where can people find you on social media
1: uh I am at mr basil underscore pesto
0: I'm Samuel W. Roberts. The podcast is Backpage Pod on Twitter, but it's also on Blue Sky. I'm on Blue Sky too. It's Samuel W. Roberts, but Backpage Pod otherwise on there. BackpageGames at gmail.com if you want to email us. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, patreon.com Backpage Pod. All contributions are welcome. Matthew, let's get out of here. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.